Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. ARCHICAD is the official BIM software of the Entree Architect community. ARCHICAD BIM software enables design, collaboration, visualization, and project delivery no matter the project size or complexity. With flexible licensing options and a dedicated support team to guide us along the way, ARCHICAD is an ideal choice for firms and projects of any size. I encourage you to reach out and talk to the folks at Graphisoft by visiting our own dedicated webpage at graphisoft.com slash US slash Entree Architect. There's even an exclusive special offer waiting for our Entree Architect community. Go now to graphisoft.com slash US slash Entree Architect and see how Graphisoft is positioned to help make your architecture firm a success. That's graphisoft.com slash US slash Entree Architect. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Pamela Durkin, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, It's great to have you here. I think we are very much aligned. We are doing similar things for similar people. Um, You on the design side, interior designers, and I'm on the architecture side. Yes. Small firms, both trying to help an industry learn to build better businesses and be more successful uh, as business people. And so um, I'm excited to have you here. 
and to have a conversation about those things. Yes. And we had so many great things that we talked about even before we, we started recording. And so um, that could be its own podcast in itself. Yes. So let's get to it. Exactly. Let me introduce you so people know who you are. Uh, design is powerful. And Pamela wants design professionals to step into that power. After 30 years in the high-end interior design business, she's now helping others create a business they love through magnetic marketing techniques, which makes it easier to attract the best clients. Pam is a past president of ASID Florida South chapter, uh, served on the board of architecture and design in New Jersey, and is the author of the book, Elevate, How to Take Your Design Business from the Basement to the Penthouse, which outlines lessons learned and easy techniques to grow your own design business. So now you see why we are aligned. It sounds very similar to my mission. So it does. I'm excited about it. Before we jump into talking about business and how we can help our, our communities grow, I'd love to learn more about you. I see that you that you're in Florida, past president. Um, I see that there's some New Jersey in there. We talked a little bit about my connections to New Jersey and Florida. And so we're aligned there as well. But let's, let's, let's learn a little bit more about you. When did you discover your passion for what you do and who or what inspired you to get started doing that? Yeah, um, we'd have to go back a ways. Um, I think that I first was actually introduced to the field of interior design when I took a class called Home Economics in high school. And I don't believe this class exists anymore because, you know, I'm that old. But anyway. Uh, I remember Home Economics. So you and I are, again, yep. we're in the same vein. So I took this class and it was actually run by an interior designer. And part of the year, we spent some time talking about interior design and what interior design was. And it intrigued me because I had always been um artistic but not fine art artistic just creative um, i was always doing things to my clothes and trying different things um and to my mother's chagrin i should say but <laughs> i always felt that i had an artist's heart right and so the thing that i found during that class which i thought was so intriguing was that interior design married art and technical together and that really appealed to me because I didn't see myself as a fine artist, but I have, uh, you know, I'm very evenly brained and this really appealed to both sides of my brain. And I was really excited about that. So I started, you know, investigating that a little bit and then went on to study interior design in college. And then from there, you know, here's 30 years later, still a practicing designer. So, you know, that one you know, opportunity, that one person that opened my eyes to this field really made me fall in love. Yeah. It's amazing how much impact one person can have on another person's life and maybe not even know it, right? That as a teacher, they're a little bit more aware of that, but, but, uh, you know, just helping somebody or being a mentor for somebody can really put them on a different path and be somewhere where they would not have other when otherwise been. I agree. And that's one of the reasons I started getting into coaching. So I'm a practicing designer, but now I coach other designers and design professionals as well, because I know what impact a mentor has had on me personally, because I am into a lot of self-development. And then I also know that, you know, I want to be that, that light. I want to be that encouragement. I want to be that person that shines the light on uh, something that, you know, 
one of my students might have that they don't even see in themselves. And it's that's why I say, you know, in the bio, design is powerful. Most of us don't know how powerful it is because it's somewhat of a natural gift that we have. And we don't realize how many people don't have that gift. And I think we need to shine a little more light on what we're doing is so wonderful and then how we're really impacting people in our work. Do you, you had mentioned that you're a practicing designer. Do Did you work for any, when you came out of college, um, what did you do? Did you go work for somebody else or did you start your own practice? What was, what's that story? Yeah. So in the beginning, when I came into college, it was actually, we were in a recession, good times. And um, so I know that part of the struggle is, you know, having a passion and being taught a skill and then not being able to put that skill into practice. So I actually worked for AT&T for a couple of years and um, made some great doing design work or something else. No, not design work. I was a secretary. So that was you got a job basically. Yes, yeah. I worked in the media relations group there. So I they were I was the one answering the phones when all the <laughs> when ABC News called. Um, so spent a couple years doing that and then was able to secure a job in the commercial, which is what I originally wanted to do was do commercial design. And I worked for a Herman Miller dealership in New Jersey. And we worked on rather large projects. I was in the special projects group. So we would work on projects that were, you know, maybe a hundred people or larger, um, getting workstations and things like that. So I worked and did that for a couple of years, moved on to a. Um, so just, I want to clarify, uh, Herman Miller is office environments, right? They correct. do office furniture and, and got it. Okay. Yes. And then moved to another dealership, Herman Miller dealership, ended up being a design director there. And so got that experience of managing people. So that was really interesting. And then worked for a Kimball dealership a little bit after that. Then I got to that point in my life where um, I, you know, basically wanted to go on my own. And so I went ahead and started my own business, not really by choice. It was a situation where I ended up leaving a job in, you know, a little bit of a turmoil way. And so it wasn't, you know, it wasn't well thought out. So I don't recommend it for sure. But um, that's what happened to me. And that kind of launched me into working in my own business. I think there are a lot of designers and architects that start their firms by default, right? It's just, yes. They're in a situation and that's the option, yes. right? And so they jump. And often those are the most successful because they realize they have to figure it out fast. Panic is a uh, great motivator, right? Yeah, for sure. And so what type of work did you do when you started practicing your own? So I, when I started practicing, um, I was doing mostly commercial, small commercial work. And then I started doing a little bit of residential. But a few years after starting my business, we as as living in new jersey um 9 happened and that sort of threw everything into a turmoil that was our you know our big moment where we really evaluated so many people evaluated what am i doing why am i doing this is this the right place for me and um we decided to move to florida and so that precipitated that move um back in 2004 so Somebody said to me very smartly, you've started a business a few times. And I was like, yeah, I guess I, <laughs> I guess I have, why, yeah. why am I doing that? But um, so I decided to move to Florida and we are in the West coast of Florida. And it typically is a second and third 
and fourth home market. Uh, so we're dealing with snowbirds and my work consists of probably 75% residential now and 25% commercial. Yeah. With the recent damage from the hurricane in that region, do you see that, that your demand is going to go up for your services where people are renovating and repairing? Yeah, I mean, I think that we are going to see that. I, I think it's only, believe it or not, it's been about three weeks since the hurricane hit. And honestly, there's still fishing boats and cars. Uh, we were just talking beforehand in my town. They think at least 350,000 cars were flooded and damaged. So they had to logistically, you know, get them out of wherever they were, where they weren't supposed to be, and then truck them away and deal with that. So I think we're still a little ways away from, um, you know, the work sort of flowing, except for people who are doing damage control, right? I mean, the contractors are super busy right now in terms of what's happening to try to just get people up and running. Yeah. So today you are, you're, you're part of what you do is coaching and uh, you have a platform where you're helping designers learn to build businesses and be, yes. be more successful. Right. What inspired you to take that path? What what was the inspiration for that? Um, again, it was one of those things that just sort of happened to me. Um, I, you know, am a big fan of masterminds and being in business groups. And I was in this business mastermind of which I was the only creative. Um, and so I was in a group of about 40 other um, business owners. And we did this part of, a, of our sessions when we were together every quarter, we would do these things called hot seats. And for the hot seats, someone would come up with a problem and then the group would, you know, throw out ideas on how to fix the problem. And, you know, this is one of my favorite things to do is brainstorming and helping people and, and creatively bouncing ideas off of other people. So I was totally in my element and I just loved it. And so I was up at the microphone all the time. And somebody said to me, why aren't you coaching people? And I was like, because I'm a designer, I'm not a coach. I mean, that's not, it's not what I do, right? And, um, you know, I guess that was the first seed that was planted is maybe I can help people um, see some greatness in themselves, see things that they can't, you know, when you're close to a problem, it's really hard to see um, some of the layers that are happening or the factors that are, help, you know, affecting your decision. And I've always been able to kind of cut through that noise. And so, you know, I'm really enjoying helping people sort of have those aha moments uh, as they start to, you know, move across their own journey. And what inspired the book? What's the book about and, and why did you write it? So the book, so I'm part of, you know, this magnetic marketing group, you know, headed by Dan Kennedy. And they always talk about you, what you should write a book, you should write a book, you should write a book. Everyone in that group has written a book. So the peer pressure to write a book was real, right? And the book is really honestly a lead magnet to bring in opportunities for my business. And anyone that's out there, I mean, in, in our industry, everyone writes well, I'm going to say write in quotes, a coffee table book or a beautiful illustrative book. But if you want to stand out in your industry, what about writing a book on some of the things that frustrate you, some of the things that frustrate your clients, some of the things that are going on in the industry that you don't understand or you want to explain, right? 
what an interesting way to bring opportunities to you. And so I wrote a book and that book is, you know, along those lines of, of talking about just letting people know that, hey, the struggle is real. It doesn't matter who you are, right? It doesn't matter how long you've been in business. There are days when we go, why did I do that? You know, I've been in the business 30, something happened to me two weeks ago. And I was like, why did I allow that client to do this to me? Did I need that harsh reminder? I think I must have, because I forgot, right? I deviated from something that I wouldn't normally do. So in the book, it just talks about, um, Things that I've learned, lessons I've learned along the way, things that I, um, items that I think people should pay attention to. Like, I think we should be more in the entertainment business. That's my feeling um, because like they say, who gets paid more, the teacher or the actor? Okay, so we should, we need to just think differently about how we're approaching our businesses. So those are the type of things that I, address in the book. And then I also have places where people can write notes and, and you know, it's supposed to be like a place you can mark up and, and it's super quick read, take you about an hour, but it's just packed with nuggets that you can really apply right away. Yeah. The book is called Elevate, How to Take Your Design Business from the Basement to the Penthouse. We'll have a link to that on the show notes so you can go grab a copy of that. Let's take a quick break to say thank you to our sponsors for their support of this episode. This episode is brought to you by FreshBooks. There's a lot to love about being an entrepreneur architect, right? But trying to figure out our financials on our own is not one of those things. Luckily, we have FreshBooks, the all-in-one accounting solution that's built for business owners like us. FreshBooks takes all the not-so-fun parts of running a business from building and tracking invoices, to managing online payments, to organizing expenses, and automates them with features like the digital bills and receipt scanner, saving you up to 11 hours a week in the process. It's also super easy to get up and running, and the award-winning FreshBooks support team, they are always available to answer any questions along the way. Compare that to some of the other financial management tools out there. Try FreshBooks for free for 30 days, no credit card required. Go to freshbooks.com slash architect to get started today. That's freshbooks.com slash architect. So what will you do with 11 more hours each week? This episode is brought to you by rcat.com. We all have that one story, that one project that had such a unique situation that it required a solution that you had rarely considered before. We share these stories in private professional circles with our friends and our colleagues, but there has never been a collection of these stories of conflict and triumph all in one place until now. Detailed is a podcast series that features architects, engineers, builders, and manufacturers who share their insights and expertise as they highlight some of the most complex, interesting, and oddball building conditions that they have ever encountered and the ingenuity it took to solve them. Join host Sharice Lakeside, a.k.a. CSI Kraken, a senior specifications writer at RDH Building Science as she uncovers lessons learned to help you navigate similar challenges that may arise in your next project. Detailed, an original podcast by Artcat. Listen and subscribe right now at artcat.com slash podcast. 
That's arcat.com slash podcast, A-R-C-A-T dot com slash podcast. Detailed, every building has a story. Please visit our sponsors today and thank them. Thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. You talked about, I mentioned it in your bio, and then you talked about it a little bit yourself with Dan Kennedy um, and magnetic marketing. Mm -hmm. Can you share a little bit about what that is? Because I think a few ears perked up when you said magnetic marketing uh, from our listeners. I'd love to share what that means and how that works. So it's it's being very thoughtful and mindful on how you are going to attract potential clients to you. And you're really putting in the work to decide who you want to work with, what kind of projects you want to work on, and then dialing down to what are those what are those people looking for? What are they really looking for? What's frustrating them? How can you, you know, sort of have the conversation out loud that they're already having in their mind? What questions are they thinking? What's worrying them? What's on their mind? And so that's the magnetic marketing technique is being very proactive in what you're posting and what you're talking about to be, you know, planting the seeds to have those better types of clients and projects come your way. So understanding who your client is very specifically, we've often talked about ideal client at, at, on the Entree Architect podcast. And then everything that you put out into the world is talking and resonating with that ideal client. Well, and what motivates them to buy and also what kind of personality are they? You know, um, I was working with a designer who actually had been in business almost 17 years and he had taken one of my courses. And one of the things we talked about is ideal client. He's like, well, I've been in business 17 years. I know my ideal client. I'm like, great. Um, And then like three weeks later, he was like, you know what? I never realized that all my best clients are lawyers. And I was like, okay. And then I said, and what does that mean? And he's, and I, we talked through and it's like, remember lawyers are type A's. They don't have a lot of time. They might not have a lot of patience. Like, how are you going to make their lives so easy? Because they don't want to be working necessarily on their home. They just want the home to be beautiful. They want the home to function because whatever time they have, they either want to do something fun or hang out with their family. Like they don't have time for this. And so he started crafting his approach based on the type of person, the personality, what they were looking for. And they were really offering soup to nuts services all the way down to the flatware and everything because they were just making it easy for their client. Right. And so I think that if we can spend a little time figuring out exactly who our client is and then what motivates them and then where are they hanging out, that can really help move things along. The motivation to buy, how do you learn that? I understand learning who your ideal client is. You can do some analysis of your current clients, understand who your favorite clients were, which are the ones that pay your bills the best, mm-hmm. You know, which ones allow you the most freedom to design the, your best work. Those are your ideal clients. But how do you get drilled down to what motivates them to buy so you can understand that and be able to leverage that knowledge? Well, I mean, one thing you can always do is go back and ask your clients, why did you decide to hire me? What was the tipping point? And of course, um, you know, you have two different types of potential clients, right? The ones that are ready to buy now and the ones that are researching. Because think about when you maybe are looking for a car. 
you might first decide, do I want an SUV or, you know, or a sedan? And then you, you know, you start to dial it down and figure it out because you're doing your research to ask the questions. Because I find at least with most of my situation that these people have never hired a designer before, even, even though it's their second, third, fourth home, um, they're new to the process. So if you can back into, well, if I was new to this process, what would I do? Or go back to your clients and say, what, how did you, you know, let, let's talk about how you ended up coming to me. I mean, that kind of market research is, is gold. And if you can't do that, like if you can't pull some clients, then do your best to make some assumptions. And then as you learn more information, you can adjust your approach. But, you know, there's two ones, you know, ways, people that are ready to buy now, which our industry typically likes to focus on is when the phone rings they want to you know they want to hire somebody within a week or two weeks however we we cannot forget the people who are like doing their research and who are going to buy in three months from now right and so we have to remember that we've got to keep in touch too so on your platform how are you teaching this type of work is this um, just a one-on-one -on -one coaching do you have courses you do you do that through masterminds? How yeah, we do it a couple different ways. So I have uh, a six week course called in demand designer, and we kind of take you through the process of who's your client and how do you figure that out? And then what motivates them? And then ultimately to what we call the client audition at the end, then there's some, um, you know, I have available as one-on-one -on -one coaching. And then I've also been doing some group masterminds, which have been very successful because people, again, to, to what we were talking about previously before we started recording is that sense of community, that idea where you're not the only one sort of going through all these things. And that's the thing I love so much about the mastermind that I was in. And I think that other people like about masterminds is that it doesn't matter what kind of business you're in doesn't necessarily matter how big your business is, but there are there are always the some of the same problems that keep coming up again and again and again. Like, I don't think I, you know, I can't believe I can't get this to the next level. How do I do that? Um, you know, there's a lot of confidence issues going on there, which, again, is surprising to me when someone's got a hundred million dollar business and they have a confidence issue, you're sitting there going, <laughs> well, holy crap. I mean, it's, it's universal. Right. And so having that sense of community where you can bounce those ideas off of and realize that you're not the only one uh, is so invaluable. Yeah. Yeah. Masterminds are so powerful. It's it's, we've been doing them a long time and those, those are really the most, most impactful things we do. Um, because you do have, you have a group of people who are dedicated to your success. That's their job is, is to make sure that you, a member of their, their mastermind is, are, is successful. And that's, that goes around to every single other person, right? You're dedicated to the success of everyone else in your group as well. And so, uh, amazing concept and super powerful, um, groups, um, in your book, you talk about the zone of genius, and why you should work in your zone of genius every day. What does that, what does that mean? So, I mean, it's, so let's talk about this because we're, we're, you know, we're talking to small business owners is that, you know, we tend to wear many, many hats because we're in a small business, right? But at some point you have to realize that there's certain things you're good at and there's certain things that you're maybe proficient at and there's certain things that you're terrible at. And as you move through your business, if you can increase the percentage of the things that you're really good at, 
you need to start handing off those other things. Now, there may be items in your business. You know, I would even say take a hard look. If, if there's things you're doing in your business that you absolutely hate, that really aren't money makers too. That can you shed some things? I mean, we all think that we have to have the litany of services um, for every client. And I wonder, do we really need to do that? Or aren't we in a world right now where we're, we can really craft what we want our business to, to look like? I mean, why start a business if you're just going to trade one job for another, right? You know, it's like, it's like you're working for somebody, but you're now you're paying yourself. I mean, what are we doing? So I think, I think there's some control there where we can say, listen, let me look at what I like doing, what's profitable, um, what should I be diving in more on? And how can I, um, you know, really help my clients better with the skills and, and the gifts that I have that maybe other people don't have? Yeah. Yeah. And that also ties into profitability, right? And how, how that time, that zone of genius, focusing on that zone of genius uh, and managing your time really does make you more profitable. Right. I mean, think to yourself, yes, I, I can figure out how to put together a website or I can figure out how to answer all these emails or I can figure out, of course, I can go pick up all those samples or, you know, make a hundred job sites visits, but do I need to be doing that? Could I be doing marketing or could I be developing better relationships with, you know, referral sources that are really good to me? And that is a great team of people. You know, there's, there's actually some, so in the book, I also talk about the dollar, the $10, the $100, $1,000, $10,000 tasks. You need to be working on the $10,000 tasks because you're the captain of the ship, right? You're the one steering the business. You're the one making these big decisions. But we like to work on, <laughs> for some reason, we get, you know, satisfaction working on the $10, $10 tasks, which is just the mundane stuff. And, you know, that could be one of the reasons why the business isn't growing as we want it to. Yeah. Yeah. Such good advice. As we wrap up here, I want to ask you the one question that I ask everybody. Um, this is the, the question that sort of gives my listeners some action to take. Uh, what's one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? So I'm going to say that you should schedule on your calendar at least once a quarter, some time away from the office to think about what your business could look like. What is the next iteration of your business? You may, as we all do, get lots of magazines and journals and articles and things like that. You may want to compile all those things and then look at them in your quarterly sort of reflection time. But I think that we need to quiet our minds a little bit, get away from the hustle and bustle of the office and dream about what that next um, what that next step looks like for our businesses. And if you have a small team, maybe bring the team with you too, and just literally make it a day where you brainstorm and say, let's throw some ideas out there on what this, how we could do this better. How could we shed some things? How could we push the limits? How can we be different to our customers and make more of an impact? And I think that type of work is definitely underrated at this time. So time away from the office, I would say for sure. Yeah. And that's important. That's the important piece of it, right? The, the reflection and sort of development of your ideas, super important, but doing that in your office where you work every day is very, very different than packing up and leaving and going somewhere 
that maybe you've been, maybe you haven't been, but somewhere away from your office. Uh, so you can really focus on those ideas and, and let them sort of germinate into other ideas. Such great advice. Um, Pamela Durkin, thank you for joining us here today. If you want to learn more about Pamela, you can go to her Instagram. It's at Pamela Durkin. The book again is called Elevate, How to Take Your Design Business from the Basement to the Penthouse. You can learn more about uh, Pamela and the book at elevatethebook.com, elevatethebook.com. Um, and I heard rumors that there might be a podcast brewing. Yes, I, I'm in the midst of um, recording a few episodes of the podcast. It's called Marketing by Design. And I'm looking to really talk to people outside of the design industry, some inside the industry, but some outside the industry so that we can glean some really interesting techniques and ideas on how to run better businesses that come from people outside. I love it. Name is Marketing by Design. Look for it. Um, Pamela, when you launch, let me know, and I will share that with our audience and our community so they know that, uh, that you're out there. Um, Pamela, thank you. Thank you for the work that you're doing to help designers and the people who are who are designing and making our world a better place through design, helping them build better businesses so they can be even better at, at what they do in their zone of genius. And thank you for spending some time with me here today at Entree Architect Podcast. Thanks for having me. I just appreciate you giving me a platform for us to chat and um, I look forward to staying in touch. Me too. If you liked this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a rating, write a review, share a link with a friend. That's how Entree Architect has grown to serve thousands of architects just like you. Please share a rating, write a review, share a link to this episode with a friend. I'd appreciate it. Links to all our sponsors and all the resources we discussed today are available at the show notes for this episode found at entrearchitect.com slash podcast. Entree Architect is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. It's the network dedicated to architects, engineers, and construction pros. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at Gable Media at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. Go check it out. We have, I think, 13 podcasts over there now. Gablemedia.com. And before we wrap up, a special thank you to our partners at Graphisoft for helping our community of architects make the transition to BIM with ARCHICAD software. Go now to graphisoft.com slash US slash Architect and see how Graphisoft is positioning to help make your architecture firm a success. Visit graphisoft.com slash US slash Architect to learn more. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Entree Architect Podcast. My name is Mark Arlapage. Love, learn, and go share what you know.
I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like, us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.